My name is Matt Schweitzer. I'm Brandon joked that he was the new guy. I'm really the new guy here. Uh, <laughs> my family and I have been to Wit for almost two months, and uh, Paul and Brandon gave me the opportunity to share the word with you this morning. We're in between series. We just finished up a series uh, that pa Pastor Paul was taking us through uh, in the Lord's Prayer. And like Brandon said, we're jumping into a series called Engage starting next week. So in between, we're going to take a dive into Psalm 19. Uh, it's on page 456. There's pew Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you if you'd like to follow along. It's the red book. There's some blue hymnals in there that are going to be less helpful for looking up Psalm 19. But uh, the red one, page 456, is where we're going to be. And I just, before, we, before we get there, we'll read through the whole thing. Uh, I, just, I just want you to consider, consider the phrase, look what I did. Maybe a phrase we'd hear more from, more from children, uh, if you, those of you who have little ones grandkids or your own kids around, uh, they drew a picture or, or they did a school project and they're very proud. Look what I did. Maybe they tipped over a flower pot or let the water run right out of the fridge. Look what I did. <laughs> or maybe you don't even know who did it. You, you see, you see the, the great picture of the project or the chaos that was created. And if they're not forthcoming, they might be forthcoming with look what I did, but if they're not, you'd probably like to figure out who did it, who did this. But either way, whether it's good or bad for you, they're probably pretty, pretty proud, look what I did. As adults, we do this too. We don't use that same phrase, but in our social media obsessed uh, society that we are a part of, for, for good and bad, um, we're in this mode of constantly posting, giving people snapshots, glimpses into our lives, where we're at in the moment, look what I did. We may not say it with, with pride or, or arrogance or, or look how great I am. We may not say it in that tone, but um, we're, 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 we're saying, look what I'm doing. Look, look what I'm up to. I want, I want to share. I want to maybe share something you enjoy, like uh, Facebook posts and things, or, or Instagram or, or Twitter, uh, we, can, we can share recipes, we can share, we can share songs. Sorry, Frobishers, I still haven't gotten you that mac and cheese recipe. I haven't forgotten, but I will. Um, <laughs> um, so, so for things like that, we can, we can share, look, what I, look, at this, look at this dish that I made, or look at this song that I found. I think you'd really enjoy it. That's more often the, the tone in which we'd share it. But those of us who are on the receiving end, we... We want to know, we know who, like, we got it from. We know our friend on Facebook who, who shared it with us. But very often, if we hear a new song or we find a recipe, like, where did that come from? Was it, is this, like, an Iron Chef recipe? Is, who did that song? Who, who played that song? We want to know the band. We want to know the creator. We don't want to stay stuck in just, just the creation, the product, the, the thing that was shared. We want to know where it came from, the source. So as we walk on into Psalm 19, it opens up with the phrase that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The heavens are screaming God's glory of, of look what I did. So consider that as we, as we walk through. Um, we'll start right at verse 1 in Psalm 19. Again, that's page 456 if you're using one of the, one of the pew Bibles here. We're just going to take... Uh, the first six verses, as we jump in, there's kind of three sections that this psalm goes through. We're going to talk about the glory of God, uh, the law, the word of God, his word. And then we're going to arrive at how both of those things inform our need for his grace. And we'll talk about how, 
how he supplies, uh, how he meets us, how he graces us as well. Before we dive in and read, uh, invite you to join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the grace of this day, another day of life. Uh, we thank you for the warmth of the sun and, and the ability to gather in this place uh, for your honor and glory. I pray in this time as we look to your word, um, use the words you've given me this week. May I be clear. Uh, may it be edifying and, and useful for, for the building of your church. May it be informing and informing for your people and, and honoring to you. Teach us all this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 19, starting in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So right off the bat, the, again, this first section is, is talking about the glory of God and, and how it's declared. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies are proclaiming the work of his hands. These heavens, this, this word isn't literally the heaven when we think about heaven or, heaven or hell. This, this is... This is the skies. This is what we see when we look up at various times of day. There's four, four different types of heavens that are being talked about here. Uh, there are the watery heavens. There, there, we, have, we have clouds. There's, there's moisture in, in the atmosphere. The aerial heavens, you think about winds and gusts and, and storms. The solar heavens, uh, that, that, would be, that would be the sun, the, the daylight that we experience, and then the starry heavens at, at night, the lights that are there to, to light up the sky. Why would there be these four different types? Why, I mean, we talk about the heaven, that's a, that's a pretty glorious place in itself, but these four heavens are there because the action is ongoing. It's not that the, the heavens are only declaring the work of God when the sun is out. It's, it's a constant thing. The, the creation is constantly glorifying the creator where, where it came from. It's ongoing. They are declaring. They are proclaiming. It's active. They're pouring forth speech and revealing knowledge. It's gushing. It's spewing. It, it, it can't be contained. There's an immense quality to it. Verse 2, day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. How can that be? He just, he just said in one verse, they are pouring forth speech, but then they have no speech. They use no words. And this is actually the same original word in, uh, in both of these verses here for speech and words. He's saying the same thing, but there's this, this paradox. David's the one who wrote this psalm. Um, he can't describe his experience. As, as he's reflecting, as he's praying, as he's taking in the glory of God, it's something that he can't even quantify. He can't put into normal words. He doesn't think there are words that he could use that we could properly explain the magnitude of the glory in God. It's, it's as if it's coming straight to his heart and mind, from God's heart and mind. There isn't a formal way that we as humans can think to communicate 
that he's receiving this. It's not a written word. It's not, it's not a spoken word. Yet, the heavens are screaming the glory of God. Verse 4, their voice, this voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Again, he's using these words that would describe speech and communication, but that's not, he's not literally hearing these things. He can't, again, he can't explain what it is, but he knows it's there. He knows it's there. He knows the glory of God is present. This word for voice here uh, can, be, can be translated as, as a measuring line or, or influence. So the, the scope uh, that, that these words, that the glory of God will go to, is to the ends of the earth. There is, there is no limit for them. They cannot be contained. The glory of God will be declared. And in this moment, we can talk about, um, again, he's using formal words for communication. And if there's, if there's spoken words, there's, that would involve hearing those sp- spoken words in a way or listening, and, and hearing is the actual physical action of, of receiving communication, receiving a sound. Listening is taking that in and then doing something with it, doing, doing an action, being compelled. That's, that's that next step. You took in a post from someone or you, or you took in a project from one of your kids, and, and you're called to a response from that. You want, you want to do something with it. You're either, you're either called to encourage your, your little one, or you want to find out more from your friend who posted, who posted about this song. You took it in, you received it, you processed it, and then we did something about it. Think about that as it relates to us responding to the glory of God. Are, are we just taking off? Oh, nice. That was a, it's a great day today. Moving on. Or what, what, what does that compel you to? What, what does that bring you to, to reflect on, to, to do with? Are you inspired by that, that the, that the God of the universe took time out of his day to, to paint a magnificent, a magnificent sunset and to also call your attention to it so that you could revel in the creativity of your creator? As we get into the, the tail end of this first section on, on the glory of God, he talks about God pitching a tent in the heavens for the sun. This, uh, this would be similar to in the Old Testament. There was always a tabernacle. There, there, was, always, there was always a place for God with, with the children of Israel. And that's what he's talking about here. There, there is a place, there is a constancy in the heavens for the sun. And, and he's not glorifying, exalting the sun over above all things, but it's the most glorious thing that he can think of in, in creation is the sun. It's constant. It's always shining. We can see it depending on what side of the earth you're patient on or at a time, but think of the sun is so bright that the moon lights the night off of, off of the sun's reflection. Like that's, that's the glory of the sun. So once again, He's, he's trying to explain and quantify this glory that he's experiencing. It's like the sun is containing this, uh, the excitement of a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing to run their course, set out for the task ahead and, and fully immersed and involved and invested in what is set before him. That's the glory that he's experiencing in, in the creation of God. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Again, it's all-encompassing. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The glory of God surrounds us. It's, we can't avoid noticing it. So don't avoid noticing it. 
The sun is strong, it's joyful, it's all-reaching. That's why, that's why he's using this object to, to describe the glory of God. But again, it's merely the creation. It's not the creator. In the next section, David is left to reflect upon, okay, this, this, is, this is the second phase of that. Okay, we've taken in the content, we've taken in the post or or the project from, from the kids, or, or the event that they've done, what does that cause you to think about? What, what is your response to that? How did what your children did make you feel? How does this song, or this, or this recipe, or this post, or this newsfeed, how does that make you feel? What are you called to do? And he reflects on how, the glory, how God's glory establishes his authority. He is creator. He is sovereign over all things. So what does that mean? And his attention turns to the word. His, att his attention turns to the written word that he does have from God. Starting at verse 7 again. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from a honeycomb. In this cluster of four verses, we see a pattern. He, he lists an attribute, an aspect of the word of God that, that he has, and then he derives a benefit from it, what, what that aspect is for, how we can put it to use. He starts in verse 7 that the law of the Lord, this, this is the written word, this is what he has decreed, is perfect, refreshing the soul. It, it bears those attributes. It's perfect. It's complete. It meets all needs. The benefit is that because, because it's perfect, it is refreshing for our souls. The next aspect, the statutes, that's, that means the testimony or the reminders of God, the things that we see, that we get to take in, that we get to experience that remind us of God, those statutes are trustworthy. They are sure. They are certain. In other words, it's infallible. That's a, that's a bigger one. But um, they are, his statutes are trustworthy so we know that we can rely on them and be guided upon them. The benefit of them, because they're sure, because they're certain, they make wise the simple. I don't know about you. I would like my simple mind to be made wise. That's the benefit of taking in these statutes of, of the Lord that, that David's reflecting on here. He goes on. The, ne the next way he uses to describe God's word is, is the precepts of the Lord. Precepts are, are rules or guidelines. These, these are the you must do this or you must not do this aspect of God's word. The, David's reflecting on the things that he's been, been raised and taken in from, from God. So these precepts, these guidelines, they are right. They are founded on righteousness, the sovereign righteousness of God. The benefit of them, of following them, of listening to them, of heeding them, is that they will bring joy to your heart, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord, again, that's, that's the you shall do, you shall do this. Orders, they establish the authority of the Almighty. Those commands are radiant, they are pure, they are undefiled. They, they are not to be questioned. They can't be questioned. They're pure. They're complete. And they give light to the eyes. 
The next way he talks about the word of God is the fear of the Lord. This is, this is not a, a negative nightmare fear. This is a fear that is awe and intimacy and reverence. It's a fear that we'd, that we'd think about uh, in, in worship. It's a, it's a holy fear, a reverence for the Lord. Again, they are pure. They are clean to sanctify the heart, the ongoing, ongoing process of purifying, of cleansing us, the, this, a fear, a holy fear and reverence from the Lord brings that about. And the benefit is that it will endure forever. A true holy fear, a reverence, a respect will infiltrate all aspects of, of our lives for as long as we walk this earth until we get to be in person and see him face to face. That fear will, will carry us into that, and we still will have this holy fear forever. The final thing he talks about are the decrees of the Lord, things that he has, he has laid out, that he has instructed, judgments or decisions. All of them are righteous. Again, he is firm and unshakable and true. All of these ways and decrees are righteous. And, and David's brought to this by thinking about the glory of God, Some, someone, something, a God so great to be able to do all these things that the heavens are constantly telling, that the heavens are declaring his glory. It establishes authority for the creator. And so I want to turn to these things. I want to turn to what he's instructed. I cherish, I, I relish the word of God. He says they, all, the, all these attributes that we just walked through, the law, the statutes, the precepts, commands, fear, and decrees, they are more precious than gold. Again, he's, he's trying to quantify things. He's limited in our, in our finite world, but he thinks of the best, richest thing he can. All these attributes of the Lord, of his word, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. He'd rather have them than all the riches in the world. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from a honeycomb, the most savory thing he can think of. He would rather have the grace of God's word and, and, and meditate and reflect on those things and the greatness of the glory of God. God's word is sweeter and of greater worth than anything that we can imagine. Do we respond to it that way? Do you take it in like that? Is it, we just finished a series on prayer. Is it, is it your daily bread? Is it something that changes your day, that graces you with, with patience for your kids or, or for a coworker, that graces you with kindness for a stranger or someone who maybe doesn't receive kindness from a whole lot of other people? Is it something that you can't start your, is it your day without? Is it something that fuels the very drive of your day? The final section, starting at verse 11, David starts to reflect once again. I have this, this glorious God and, and his word and all these things that he's laid out, the expectations, the guidance that he's given us. So then he starts to reflect on, but where does... Where does this leave me in light, of, <laughs> in light of his goodness? Picking up at verse 11. By them, your servant is warned, by, by these attributes of, of God's word, the law and that, and that whole list. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Those are, those are the benefits that we were, that we were just talking about, Keep, keeping them. And all, and all those attributes, opening, opening the eyes, uh, 
our fear enduring forever, a holy fear for the Lord. Those are the benefits that he's talking about. In keeping them, there is great reward. And then he arrives at verse 12. But who can discern their own errors? He acknowledges our fallen, broken nature, that, that we are in a world that is gripped with sin. But who can discern their own errors? The answer is the one who knows the law of the Lord. It, it establishes where we could stray. It establishes what sin is. But without sin, we wouldn't need God's goodness. It's, it's something that we, that we need to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin. If there was no wrongdoing, there wouldn't be a need for rightdoing. Romans 7, 7 says, I would not know what sin was had it not been for the law. The law establishes these guidelines, and we walked through those benefits. So not only in keeping that, not only in adhering to the guidance we've, we've been given from God, does it establish the, the barrier for sin, but it also gives us benefit as well. It, it, it brings us along, it sanctifies us, giving joy to the heart, making wise the simple, refreshing the soul. As he thinks on why he needs these things, as he thinks on maybe times that, that he has failed, as maybe you think on times that, that you have failed, It makes him ponder once again what, what he's done, where he, has, where he has gone wrong, why he has a need for a God so glorious, with an authority so glorious, to establish these right ways. How does he stack up? He reflects and, and asks, keep your servant from willful sins. Forgive my hidden faults, that they may not rule over me. And then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. He acknowledges in here that he cannot, of himself, do it on his own, in light of the precepts, the laws, the guidelines that God has set out. He acknowledges God's perfect sovereignty, that in that, those are the ways of God, but that sin has corrupted his world. And he goes back to God, asking, I need you to forgive my hidden faults. I need your strength to keep me from willful sins, that they may not rule over me. And with your help, then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. He talks about two different kinds of, of wrongdoing here that might be a, a little different than we maybe think about sin. Uh, he talks about hidden faults. These are, these are sins of weakness. They might, they might be inadvertent, and they might be things that, that sneak up on us in a moment. A harsh word spoken in response uh, maybe just, maybe a sin of non-action, maybe, maybe a sin where we, we did not reach out in kindness when, when we should have to someone. These hidden faults, they're not hidden from the world, but there's certainly plenty of people to take, take in when we messed up. But these, he's thinking about the things that are hidden from him. As he, as, he, as he thinks about how he was going through, he didn't actively think about how he could tear this person down with harsh words. But his soul was not refreshed to the point where he could respond in kindness. Maybe, maybe the anger came out in a moment in a person that he didn't know. It was, it was honestly baffling to him in that moment, but he's still acknowledging the shortcoming. 
this hidden sinfulness, uh, it, it could even be something, these hidden faults, it could be something that we don't necessarily acknowledge as a sin. Now, we are not the barometer of what is sin and isn't sin. Uh, that's why we have a sovereign God for, for that. He sets, he sets the guidelines and, and the boundaries. And that's not an excuse that maybe we haven't been taught this certain action is is wrong. Maybe we've sunken into a sin habit that it's just become natural. We don't even, we don't even think of it as wrong anymore. These are the hidden faults that, that David is asking God to for, forgive these ways that I maybe don't even realize that I have wronged you. The second aspect, those are the hidden faults. This is, the second aspect is willful sins that he's talking about. And these are Things that when we're approached with the, the promises of, of God's grace here or, or the promises and indulgence of sin here, we just, I want that in the moment. And that's the choice I'm going to make. Those, those, are, those are the premeditated sins, that, that act, of, act of defiance. And, and David um, was, was familiar with the word of God, we read in Numbers 15, far, far before this in the history of Israel, that anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, whether they were part of the, the children of Israel or, or came, uh, came into their land, blasphemes the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel. This is real life for David. David's taking this in. This is, there are things at stake here to, to hold to the precepts of the Lord. He doesn't want to be cut off from the, from the people of Israel. He, doesn't, he does not want to be cast out from, from the graces of God. It's not theory. These benefits within the word of God are real. They're, they're not something that's, that's just imaginative or only experienced by, by the elite. This is something that he says the, the everyday person, everyone, needs to take in to experience, to be redeemed, to, to have forgiveness. To be kept from willful sins. This, this is something that David needs us to put into practice, needs the people of Israel to put into practice for their sakes. He closes with a very prayerful thought. May the, the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. Again, using words to describe the, the sureness that he can hold to God to, rock, reaffirming the steadfastness of God's word, and he mentions a redeemer here. He uses the word redeemer. Showing a faith that God will meet the need. A couple verses before, he, he acknowledged that he needed God to forgive his hidden faults and keep him from willful sins. He follows that up with God being his rock and his redeemer, his, his intercessor. Which we, with the benefit of the New Testament and living after David did, um, Know to be Jesus, that he is, he is our true redeemer. He talks about in Matthew, in Matthew 5, 17, being, being the fulfillment of the law, not, not being here to, to enforce or judge on the law, but to be the fulfillment of it. He knows that we have these ways of God that, that have been laid out for us, these guidelines to, to direct our lives, and he is here to fulfill those. John 3.16, probably one of the most familiar verses you could have. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. 
Jesus was the fulfillment of the law in, in giving, giving his life, laying his life down to redeem those who are in need of, forgive, of forgiveness, which is all of us in need of forgiveness for our, for our hidden, hidden faults. We, we needed someone to bridge the gap for us. To bridge the gap for us in our willful sins, in our hidden faults. We needed that redeemer. And some of you might be sitting here wondering, well, you don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm up against. You don't know what I'm struggling with right now. You don't have to be perfect to show up at church. You don't have to be perfect to, to have Jesus redeem you. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us with that intention to be a fulfillment of the glorious God, of his word, to be the redeemer for God's people, for, the, for this world of which we are. So the glory of God catches our attention. I hope it, I hope it drives you to, to reflect and respond to who could be so glorious. I hope it draws you to reflect and respond to the source of, of his glory, the word, the guidelines, the precepts that he's laid out. And I hope it draws you to cherish them, to want them, to need them on a daily basis so that each and every day you, you can be reminded of his greatness, of his goodness. Each and every day you can be reminded and excited about the lengths which he went to to call you his child, sending his own child, sending his son. He gave his son for the world. In light of that, just reflect on this for a moment, that God is most glorified. We've talked about his glory this morning. He's most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Are you most satisfied in him and only him this morning? Are you most satisfied in his ways? Hebrews 12 talks about, uh, talks about a race that we are supposed to run with endurance. Um, the writer charges us to cast aside every weight and sin. He uses both those in the same word, which so easily entangles. To me, I've, I've taken that to mean he... He distinguishes between weights, things that would hold us back, and, and blatant sin. So in order to run this race, in order to chase a life worthy, worthy of the gospel of God, worthy of these, of these precepts, these laws that, that, we, that we want to strive for, that we want to, that we want to do in order, in order to gain the benefits of them, we want, to, we want to adhere to the promises of God so that we can be filled with joy, so that we can be filled with wisdom. We want to do those things. As we're, as we're running that race, we need to cast aside sins for sure, and none of us are going to be able to perfectly do that this side of heaven. But the writer of Hebrews also charges us to cast aside weights, things that might not be, you might not think of blatantly as sins. It might be things that you're spending time on instead of Instead of sitting down and reading the Bible with your, with your family or kids, it might be, it might be other ways that, that are holding you back. It might, be, it might be activities or actions that aren't necessarily sins. We wouldn't label them as wrongdoings. But can we cast those aside as well as the sins and, and revel in the glory of God 
why he is worthy of all the glory. And have him be most glorified in us, in our lives, when we're most satisfied in him, in our time with him. The heavens are telling. The earth is screaming from God. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I did. How are we called to respond? The glory guides us to his grace. We're found in Christ Jesus. We cherish his word and who he is. That's the life he's calling us to. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the grace of your word. We thank you that you are our almighty God. We thank you that you look on us as your children in need of instruction, sometimes in need of discipline, but always in need of guidance. Thank you for showing us, for laying out ways that are pure and noble and excellent and trustworthy, and that all these things are found in you. Give us strength and perseverance and endurance to to strive to chase these things, the ways of you. For the ways that will benefit us, our personal soul, our, our personal health, for the ways that will benefit our family, for the ways that it will benefit your kingdom, your church here on earth. We want you to equip us. We want you to build us up for your work. Thank you for including us in that. But most of all, thank you for sending your son to be our savior, to be our redeemer, to be our hope, our once and future hope. I pray every, every soul in this room would know that truth, would be constantly reminded of it. We thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.